Good morning, Faith family. Good morning. Let's open the Word of God together. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Colossians. And we're going to be in chapter 3, looking at the first four verses of Colossians chapter 3 this morning. Now, it is the, uh, the beginning of fall break, so all the teachers and students rejoiced at some extra sleep this week. Um, we're looking forward to uh, celebrating baptisms with you. Like we said last week, we had an issue with the baptistry. We believe we've got it fixed, and so we'll be working to line up those baptisms as soon as possible. And uh, once again, if you're considering baptism, if Jesus is working in your heart about that next step, uh, take this opportunity, uh, talk with one of us today, and take that first step of obedience in the life of a Jesus follower. Well, this marks the eighth week of our study through Colossians, going to be in it a total of 13 weeks, and uh, we'll, most likely what we're looking at going next will be a study of Psalm 119, and taking about six weeks, that would take us through November uh, all the way up to, up to Christmas in Psalm 119, but continuing and finishing out uh, the book of Colossians for the next several weeks. So before we read our text this morning, let's spend uh, those few still moments to quiet our minds and still our hearts from all the noise uh, of, of a really loud world. Father in heaven, as we've opened your word now and as we're about to read it, we pray that you would work, God, through your word, this living word, and to accomplish the purposes for which you have inspired this text. Pray that you would help us to hear, help us to listen and hear the gospel from your word and the power of your spirit that you might transform us into the image of your son. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. In Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, the word of God says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, if we find ourselves today in a situation where you would say you have to fight for your life, uh, in those kind of situations, we'll do whatever it takes to either win the fight or at least escape the situation. I know as a grown man, I would have no shame in stooping so low as pinching and pulling hair, if that's what it took to win a fight for my life. And I hope that none of us ever have or ever will have to be in a situation of fighting for our lives. But every single day, our text makes clear that each one of us finds ourselves in another kind of life and death struggle Instead of fighting for our lives, we find ourselves thinking for our lives. Our, our thought lives, our, our mental activity is much more of a battlefield than we often realize. And this, this passage really is the thesis. This is Paul's purpose statement. Everything that come bef came before 
everything he'll say after is really toward this purpose of having us set our minds on the things that are above so that we can find the life, our life, that has been hidden, that is hidden there with Christ in God. And so here in Colossians 3, Paul wants us to understand that the direction of our thoughts will make us either flounder or flourish. The direction of our thoughts, that is whether we set our minds on things that are above or things that are below, will determine whether or not we flounder or flourish in our day-to-day lives. Now, flounder, to be clear, is the verb form of the word, not the noun. We are not talking about the ugly, green, flat fish with both eyes on one side of its head, uh, nor are we talking about that, uh, that cute little yellow and blue talking fish from The Little Mermaid. No, we're talking about floundering, as in the opposite of flourishing. Now, to flounder is to struggle. To flounder is in life is to feel like you're always stumbling, like you can't quite get your feet under you, like you can't quite ever hit your stride. On the other hand, to flourish is to thrive. To flourish is to be whole, to be complete, to feel like you're firing on all cylinders, like you're fully alive. So from a biblical perspective, from a gospel-centered perspective, flourishing then is about living that, that abundant life. That life to the full that Jesus talked about and that he said he came to give us. So Paul tells us here that the key to entering that kind of abundant life and avoiding the floundering kind of life all comes back to the direction of our thoughts. If we set our minds on the things that are above, we will find that life of ours that is hidden with Christ in God and the obvious implication, since the opposite of life is death, that, that if we instead set our minds on things that are below, instead of flourishing, we will flounder. Instead of thriving, we will find ourselves barely surviving. Now, a study from Queen's University in Canada back in 2020 claims that uh, the average human has around 6,200 thoughts a day. I have no clue how accurate that number is. I'm never trying to count, but whatever the exact number is, I do know that it's a lot of thoughts that go through our minds. And based on the passage we just read, all those thoughts go either one of two directions, either up or down. They look, in my mind, like an aerial view of an interstate at night, endless streams of headlights and taillights going opposite directions. And the question today is, is, are there more headlights or taillights in our minds? What is the dominant direction of our thought life? And we need to know. And we need to get it right because direction of our thoughts will determine whether we flounder or whether we flourish, whether we, whether we barely survive or whether we live that full abundant life that Jesus wants to live. Now, downward thinking is the kind of thinking that will lead us to flounder. In our text, we see that downward thinking is a kind of thinking that views everything apart from Christ. It is a way of thinking that looks at something apart from Jesus as if either he does not exist or he is not in in control or either he's simply irrelevant to whatever that thing is. And so verse 2 warns against setting our minds on things that are on earth. Now let's get something straight right out of the gate because if we misinterpret this, we're all going to feel like we need to go be monks and escape everything on earth. Paul is not telling us here to never think about anything that is on the earth. What he's telling us 
is to think about things on the earth in the right way. So think about it. A massive portion, if not a majority of the Bible, it was given in order to tell us how to live on the earth in a way that honors God. The second greatest commandment is about loving your neighbor as yourself. And where is your neighbor? Well, on the earth. And in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells, teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So setting your mind on the things of the earth is a different thing from us thinking about things on the earth in a way that honors God. Setting our minds is like the image of concrete setting or being focused or having a tight grip on it. When we set our minds on earthly things, it's kind of like when you zoom in on Google Maps and You can get so close, I mean, you can see the details of the streets and even the cars that were driving and the people who were walking the dog whenever the satellite passed passed over. But zoomed in there, you can't see the county line, you can't see the state line, you can't even see the boundary of the country within which you were looking. And if you stay zoomed in long enough, you might forget what country you're in. One time I was trying to find something in America and I was like, this doesn't make sense. And for some, somehow my Google Maps had shifted over to South America and I was like, no wonder it doesn't make sense. Well, that's what downward thinking, that's the way it works. It's about zooming in on the details of our lives and things on the earth in such a way that, it, that we forget that the whole world and everything in it exists within the walls of God's kingdom. So on the other hand, upward thinking then is a way of thinking that views everything in relation to Christ. So it's a way of thinking that that views, that deals with all the details of our lives from, from, from being born to dying to mortgages and taxes to our jobs and our families. But It deals with those, but without ever losing sight of who's got the whole world in his hands. So in verse 1, Paul explains to us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And we can't read past that phrase. So what's Paul's point here? Two things. First, this is a crystal clear affirmation of Christ's full divinity. Now, in Jewish teaching, God himself is the only one with the honor of sitting in the throne room of heaven. And so Jesus, being at the right hand of God, in no way says that Jesus is somehow less than God. No, it's, it's simply a beautiful way for Paul to, at the same time, affirm Christ's full divinity, that he is fully God with his seated status, while also preserving, uh, preserving the biblical picture of God as triune. So the Bible teaches us that God is one being in three persons, that doctrine of the Trinity. And so we see that here in Colossians 1, with Jesus being seated, Honored as fully God, while at the same time being to the right of God the Father, which preserves his distinctiveness as God the Son. And the second thing Paul wants us to get from Jesus being seated at the right hand of God is that Jesus is the ruler over everything in all creation. That phrase, the right hand of God, is a position of absolute power and authority. And so upward thinking, then, is a way of thinking that views everything in our lives and in the world in light of the fact that Jesus is the head of all rule and authority in the universe, which means a couple things. It means that, number one, he gets to call the shots, and number two, that he's got it under control. And so if he calls the shots, we do what he says, no matter what. And if he's in control, we trust what he has has said, no matter what. 
His promises are good no matter what comes, even if it seems like he's delaying and we can't quite understand why he's letting things be the way they are. We trust that he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And though we can't quite see how it all adds up, he does. And by his, his sovereign authoritative hand, he is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so far from making us no earthly good, you've heard that before, if you get too heavenly minded, you'll be no earthly goods, but far from doing that, setting our minds on things that are above or being heavenly minded makes us of earthly good, but in a way that really counts. His kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are called in this life to be at work toward building and bringing that kingdom in our lives and through our lives in the here and the now. And so upward thinking views everything in relation to Christ and the fact that he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, that his work of atonement is complete and that we are secure. And by doing so, it gives us the couple things that gives us the perspective we need to look at the world so that way we can flourish and live right in it, and it gives us the peace we need to look at the world and flourish and thrive, even as we see a world that is far from perfect. And so Paul wants us to know why upward thinking grants us perspective and peace, and he tells us that it does so because upward thinking first remembers our condition. It remembers our condition. In verse 3, it says that we have died and earlier he said we died with Christ. And then verse 1 says if we've died with Christ, we've been raised with Christ. And so when we believe the gospel, God the Holy Spirit works through that to, to unite us to Jesus, to make us one with him so that when he went into the grave, we went with him. And in that act of going into the grave with him, the old sinful person we used to be was put to death. And all the sins of ours that Christ bore for us on the cross were buried in the grave, cast into the sea, as far from the east is to the west. And then, because we are united to him by the Spirit, he didn't leave us in the grave. No, when he raised up, we were raised up with him. And so he gave us a new life, that full life, that abundant life, life that's lived where we start to pursue life as it was supposed to be lived according to God's design in the presence and power of God, reunited to our maker who is our source of life. Upward thinking also celebrates our anticipation. Verse 4 says that when Christ, who is your life, and just capture that, he is our life. Christ, who is our life, appears when he returns, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so while we can and while we must pursue, we can truly enjoy new life in Christ here and now, and we do that by setting our minds on him. The Bible is also clear that the full enjoyment of that life will only be complete at the return of Christ. He talks about Christ, who is your life. He didn't say Christ who gives you life or Christ who helps you access this life. Now, he does those things for sure, but don't miss the big picture. Christ gives us life by giving us himself. And Christ gives us access to this life by allowing us to access himself. He is our life. And so the fullness of life that we long for, while we can truly experience it now, we recognize that it will only fully be experienced when we are fully with Christ. And when he appears, we shall also appear with him in glory. 
And so in the meantime, as we don't have that full life with our hands fully on it, yet we have an obligation while we live in, in this borderland, in this middle ground, but it's not a burdensome obligation. If we are truly going to enjoy our life in Christ in the here and now to the full extent that God want, intends for us, I don't want to... I don't know about you, I don't want to end up at the end of my life realizing I missed out on some good life that Jesus wanted me to experience. I don't want to have lived my life stressed out and worried when he wanted me to live with peace and joy. And So verse 1 tells us that we must fulfill during this life this obligation of seeking the things that are above. We've been raised with him, so we now are called to seek the things that are above where Christ is. He says, you have died your life. That full, abundant life you long for is hidden with Christ in God. And, and kids understand this. If something is hidden, you seek to find it. You must seek to find it. And I don't know about you, but I hide things from myself all the time. Uh, phone, wallet, keys are the worst. Sometimes I seek them for 10 minutes only to find that they were hiding in my pocket. So how do we seek the things that are above? How do we seek Christ in our life that has been hidden with him? And Paul tells us we do this simply by setting our minds on the things that are above. And so upward thinking then fulfills this obligation. We want to live kingdom lives, don't we? If you love Jesus, you want to honor Jesus in everything you do. You want to seek the things that are above with your life, not just with your thoughts, but with your whole life. And we want our lives to count for eternity, for God's eternal kingdom. But far too often we get the proverbial cart before the proverbial horse and get things out of order. We run out head full of steam, full head of steam, passionate to do something for God. And we see the fight and we see lives in the balance and we want to go out and fight for our lives and fight for their lives and save the world. But far too often... We lose steam, don't we? We burn out, or worse, when we stumble into sins and snares that sideline us. And so if we want to fight the good fight, if we want to finish the race well and honor God, it all starts to, and it all comes back to our thinking. Upward living can only swim against the stream of downward thinking for so long. If we really want to flourish, if we really want to live if we really want to lean into all the fullness and goodness of the life, a life of true purpose and true peace in Christ, then we must keep, we must learn how to keep the direction of our thoughts flowing in the right direction, in an upward direction. And to do this involves just two simple things, two simple behaviors to give ourselves to that really function kind of like rhythms, like the rhythm of a song that we move to throughout our whole lives. And they're simple, but... They're difficult, and we need each other to hold each other accountable because there's so much gravity trying to pull us downward. So the first thing we must do is we must keep our minds set in an upward direction by relentlessly pursuing sources of upward thinking. Now, a source of upward thinking is anything that helps us see things in relation to Christ. It is anything that pulls our, our eyes back to see the boundary lines of God's kingdom again. And, and, and so the ultimate source of upward thinking from where all potential sources flow is God's word. And so we must relentlessly pursue God's word. And so, so, we, so absolutely, 
We should drink from any source that proclaims God's word, is rooted in God's word, or is it all helpful to, to show us things from a biblical perspective. But we have to make sure that first and foremost, we are drinking directly from the, the source. So we read it, we study it, we listen to sound preaching and teaching. And as we do that, as we fill our minds with God's truth, moment by moment, truth by truth, bit by bit, God continually helps to pull our, our heads back from the little details and remind us of what life looks like from his point of view. And from that perspective of upward thinking, everything in our lives comes into focus again as we're able to see it all in relation to Jesus Christ, as we're able to see it all in the light of the gospel and what he has declared over our lives. And in that process, the living Christ himself takes us by the hand and leads us into life. And he begins to redeem every facet of our lives, filling our normal everyday lives with his full and abundant life. And as we relentlessly pursue sources of upward thinking, though, we must also be ruthlessly eliminating sources of downward thinking. Have you ever, have you ever noticed how a clean house doesn't stay clean very long? <laughs> I'm sure if you get it clean and uh, leave for a week, it will be clean for that week. Um, uh, but especially when you look at the outside of a house, you can't even leave the house for a week and come back and find it clean. Just from sitting there, a house gets dirty. Dust from the road, uh, mildew and spider webs and all sorts of things cling to the house like a magnet and, until you pressure wash it and then it's clean for about a day and then you have to do it again and so if you want a clean house, we have to be relentlessly pursuing it all the time. Uh, you know, but a dirty house won't destroy a house, though. But a termite infestation will. A mold infestation will. And when those issues arise, we must be ruthless in our elimination of them. We can't just kill the trail of termites into your house. We have to kill the source. And so downward thinking, our, our, this text warns us, won't just ruin a house. It will ruin our lives. Downward thinking will steal from us the fullness, the, the flourishing of life that God intends for us to live because it will keep us from seeking the things that are above where Christ is and it will keep us then from finding our life that is hidden in Christ. And so a source of downward thinking is anything that leads us to view things in our lives apart from Christ. Now, if the wheels are turning, you may be thinking, Quentin, are you saying that uh, we should never watch or listen to or be around anything that's not directly from or about the Bible. and Not quite. I, I know um, the reality is we would have to leave the world and, and to do that. And we know that God has good purposes for us to feel, fulfill here on the earth. What I am saying, though, is whatever that means for you, whatever it means for us in terms of dealing with worldly content, is that we must do whatever it takes so that we can be in the world and live out God's purposes while not becoming of the world. And so, sure, if, if we're firmly rooted in God's word and relentlessly pursuing him and abiding in Jesus, we can engage with some secular, non-biblical things without having our thoughts redirected too badly. We can watch maybe the news and, and, and guard ourselves, but no matter how firmly we're rooted, we still have to guard if we're watching. There's really no neutral content out there. And no matter how firmly we're rooted, we especially have to watch against things that are overtly morally against God and his will. So, so we can't dive 
headfirst into ungodly things that are contrary to God's will, that, that go the opposite direction. And so we, we really should not listen to music with content or language or lyrics. We shouldn't listen to, to movies and watch movies and shows that have terrible content in it that aren't going to pull our minds to things that are good and honorable and lovely and all those things we see in Philippians uh, chapter 4 because they will drag our thoughts downward in an opposite direction um, of where our thoughts should be going. And, and that's obvious, and we know that, and you've all been sitting there watching a movie and say, heard a bad word and felt guilt immediately, and that's the obvious stuff. What's more subtle, though? is the stuff that seems neutral in our lives. That's not directly morally bad. There's nothing you necessarily have to like bleep out and you know, shield your kid's eyes from, but it's those things that still pulls us in a downward direction because they still fill our lives with so much noise that we don't know how to be still and hear from God and be with him. There was a study from San Diego State University uh, that a, a, a doctor there, a, a professor there was studying trends and had been tracking trends in anxiety and depression for three decades and said that we are currently in the greatest mental health crisis in history, especially among teenagers, young adults. She said for three decades where you saw these smooth, predictable hills and valleys of trends where you'd expect it, all of a sudden there was this sharp cliff where things just got crazy out of control. And she said that moment corresponded exactly to the moment when the proportion of Americans who owned a smartphone surpassed 50%. Now, the iPhone was invented in 2007. And so what we see there is we're allowing something less than 20 years old to wreck our lives. Our phones, it could be other devices. Maybe you're more of an iPad person where you sit there and you're just scrolling new stuff or scrolling whatever all the time, whatever it is, there are TVs even, where if there's on, there's just noise all the time. It's the, those are the greatest sources of our downward thinking. Like, and our phones, it's literally a source of downward thinking. Think about how you look. Like, we look like we're praying, but we're just twirling our thumbs. And what it does is, is it literally zooms us in to where our lives are confined to a three-inch by four-inch, or however big your phone is, like look into reality where all you can hear is the voice or voices that are speaking through whatever app or whatever uh, thing source you're on. And well, what about the good content on my phone? I got my Bible on there. I got podcasts. And sure, phones can be good. We can appreciate maps. I would be lost most of the time without Google Maps on my phone. And I love FaceTime. We can FaceTime family. And don't you know Chick-fil-A rewards are really good uh, on the phone. So you know, but what about the noise it allows into our lives, especially into our time with God? It's like trying to, like, sit down with the Lord in a crowded room. You know, Jesus, I love you, and bing, notification, message, telemarketer talking about that warranty for the car you don't have. And we've forgotten how to be still. Stillness is a lost art. Depth is a lost art. We don't have any depth with God. Maybe more painfully, we don't often have depth with our own families. Stillness is how we zoom out. It says in the Bible, it says, it says be still and know that I am God. You know, so that's why that word ruthless, it may seem a little harsh, but we have to be ruthless in this area of our lives and be first off aware of the things pulling our thoughts in that downward direction. And then 
whatever it takes, whatever it takes, we've got to do what it takes to, to point our thoughts back into an upward direction because your life depends on it. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. Yes, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul or his self? We're losing our souls. We're losing ourselves. It says you are with him. Your life is with him. And if we don't point our thoughts toward him and seek him, we're losing ourselves. So a very practical challenge that I'm trying. Uh, it's from a book I'm reading right now uh, called Redeeming Your Time by Jordan Rayner. Truly one of the most powerful practical books I've read in a long, long time. And uh, talking about taking our lives back from our phones specifically. So the first thing I'd encourage you to do is make a schedule as you plan your day and set times when you're going to check your messages, when you're going to check your social media. Take back control instead of just checking it all the time. Every time what I catch myself doing is every time I get still, whether I'm pumping gas or whatever, the temptation is just to pull out my phone and start checking these, these notifications. And there's, there's, there's no gaps in our lives, so we need to take control of our lives and set times to check those messages. And then one thing I'm going to try is when I get home from work is, uh, is put my phone in a room far away. And so from the time I get home to the time I put my kids to bedtime, I'm not going to hear it. So if you can't get a hold of me, I'll, get you after, I'll, I'll check it after bedtime for the kids. And then after I put the kids to bed, check it for maybe 15 minutes and then put it to bed. And don't touch it again until the next scheduled time. And if that sounds ruthless, if that sounds radical, then absolutely amen, because the enemy works through those things. It seems negative, it seems neutral, it seems harmless. There's nothing wrong, seemingly, with just keeping our lives full of, of stories as long as they don't have bad words or bad content in them, but it's dangerous. Because if our minds are always set on things zoomed in, and we never have time to be still and zoom out and talk to God and hear from him, then we're going to find ourselves floundering instead of flourishing. And there's no, too, no cost too great whenever we're in a fight for our lives. So as we turn to a time of invitation, I'd ask you to take that same challenge. Whatever that looks like in your life, you may work on your phone all the time, and you may not be able to do that the same exact way, but whatever it looks like for you, we've got to take our lives back. We've got to take our minds back so that way we can flourish in the design that God has for us. And if you're not a Christian... If you're not a Christian, I'll ask this question of you. How long have you been looking at life as if Jesus isn't there, looking at life apart from Christ? And the reality is that way of thinking is not in line with reality. He is seated at the right hand of God, and the Bible tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And so today, the call to action for you is to start looking at things to repent of your sins, believe in the gospel, and start looking at everything in your life in relation to Jesus Christ. And so come to Jesus and surrender to his way of thinking. So faith family, as we stand, and as we sing a song of response, join with me, and I'll join with you as we set our minds to doing whatever it takes to keep our minds focused in an upward direction toward the things of God so that we can live the fullness of life that he wants us to live until he returns. Amen. Father, we love you. God, we praise you for your goodness. We praise you for your mercy. Lord, we